A month ago, I was sitting in my office in Pretoria, my home study, and I was sitting there thinking and praying about what to preach this evening. And I was going through uh, different passages, and um, as I was doing so, I was actually reading from John 3, this chapter, John 3. This is a true story. And when I was doing so, a beggar came knocking at the gate. Now, we have that quite often in South Africa. You have people wandering the neighborhoods, and they'll knock at the gate, and they'll ask for money, or they'll ask for other things. And as I was working through John 3, 1 John 3, uh, there was a beggar at the gate. And you often see people also on the street corners asking for money. It's very common. Now, sometimes these beggars, though, they will wander through the neighborhoods, checking to see who's home and where there's movement, because they work with the crime rings, and then they know who to, who to rob next. And so some beggars are good beggars and genuine, and other beggars, well, you can't quite trust them. So here is this beggar knocking at my gate. Should I give him something? Some money, perhaps, or sometimes we give fruit or, or food. To give or not to give? Now, the kids were in the front room, and one of them said, ah, it's the same guy that's always coming. And it's true. We have the same one that always comes every week. Uh, Same one that always comes, and let's just ignore it, we could could say, right? And I was tempted to do so because I was busy studying. I was busy studying God's Word, 1 John chapter 3. What would you have done in that situation? What would you have done? There are many needs around us in society... And we know them. We see them on the street corners, perhaps, in, in third world countries, developing areas, and we see them perhaps a little more subtly in other areas, but there are many needs all over the world. And there are financial needs, unemployed people, perhaps, un, uh, underemployed people, people struggling with finances, psychological needs, people hurting, depressed or lonely or other challenges, social needs of injustice or tensions or so other social problems that are, that are common in everywhere in the world. Relational needs even, broken families. How should we as Christians respond to the needs around us? We can't ignore these things when they come knocking at our gate. And yet we can't resolve them, can we? We can't solve the world's problems. And even Jesus said, well, he said the poor will always be with us, didn't he? First John Chapter 3, verse 17. Let's read it together. 1 John chapter 3, verse 17. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? That was the verse I was reading when the beggar knocked on the gate. True story. And it's not just my problem, it's our problem, isn't it? How do we understand this verse? How do we apply this verse in our lives today? In light of God's gracious, amazing love to us. This truth is a test of our spirituality. And the Holy Spirit, through, through the Apostle John, is, is, is teaching us, teaching us to practice brotherly love. But he's also testing us. Are we a genuine believer? Yes or no? That's what the book is about. Let's pray the Holy Spirit will will teach us this evening. Teach us and and draw us closer to, closer, closer to see the love of God for us in Christ Jesus our Lord, to know better God's love. Now, the purpose of John's first epistle, like, like many of his letters, Uh, Its purpose was to to remind the Christians of just the basic truths of Christianity. He wrote it late in his life. It's probably dated around the year 85 AD, so roughly uh, 50 years or so after Christ, at least 50 years after Christ's uh, resurrection. He had walked with Christ as a younger man. He He knew Jesus personally as an eyewitness, and he had served the church then for many, many years, History tells us that he was probably the last of the apostles to be, to be killed, maybe, maybe not killed himself. 
And he still remembers vividly, no doubt, Jesus' teaching because, because his book, 1 John, is, is almost an echo. It's almost a compendium of the upper room discourse. If you read John chapter 14, 15, 16, these chapters, Jesus speaking in the upper room to his disciples, we find so many echoes of those truths repeated in 1 John, in this book we're studying now. And he writes to remind, like I said, the church of the core truths of Christianity and also then implicitly to refute, to come against the false teaching of the day, the Gnostics and, and other, other heresies of that time. And he wants us to know. He wants us to know something. But you have to understand that word know, when John uses the word know, it's more than just having access to facts. We can Google it and get a fact from Wikipedia or something, and then we have a fact, don't we? But when John uses the word know, it's, it's, it's such a deeper, it's more of an experience. He wants us to experience this fact, this knowledge. John, 1 John 5, verse 13, These things have I written unto you, that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And chapter 3, verse 19, And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. You see, John is giving us tests, marks, marks by which we can know whether our faith is genuine, whether it's real. It's not fake, but real, genuine, authentic. John is giving us tests. Now, this book is very similar to John's other writings, uh, the Gospel of John, as well as 2nd and 3rd John. You can study those books. Uh, and, and in these books, John has a very beautiful style. Simple, simple language, deep, it's warm and loving, and an older man speaking to younger believers. And he uses contrasting words. John often does in, in all of his books. He uses these contrasting words to create this picture in our minds in order to convey his message. Light and darkness. Love and hatred. Life and death. Simple words that are teaching profound truths. He uses these simple words can, to, to give these deep concepts. Walking in the truth. Walking in love, or practicing righteousness, living as we ought, following in the footsteps of Christ. This is John's style. Now, what is he doing? What is he teaching us? Or what is the Holy Spirit teaching us through John in 1 John chapter 3 and in this section? Well, it's, it's, it's a whole section, and I'm only going to look at part of it with you. Uh, let, look with me, in fact, at verse 10. It's a test. Who is a child of God? Who is a child of God? Verse 10. In this, the children of God are manifest. Or I could, we could translate it this way. This is what makes evident who are the children of God. In this, the children of God are manifest. And the children of the devil. So he's comparing two. Children of the devil, children of God. And this is what makes the children of God manifest, he says, Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth his brother. Those who practice righteousness, right living, and those who practice brotherly love, are, those are characteristics or marks of the children of God. And those who don't do these things, marks, characteristics of those who are children of God. Now, John gives us, that's a simple test John gives us. He actually gives us a second one, too. There are two in the section we're going to look at together. Practicing rightness, that's law-keeping, versus a lifestyle of sin. So, a lifestyle of law-keeping, of course, by grace, or a lifestyle of sin, living in sinfulness. And that's the, the second test, then. Practicing brotherly love versus practicing the opposite. A lack of love or, or hatred is the word he uses. So we have this contrast that John is creating for us as he's giving us these tests. How can you know if your faith is real? How can you know if you're a genuine follower of the Lord, of God, of the truth, of Jesus Christ? If your spirituality is authentic, we might say today, or if it's misguided? 
Well, there are many passages and many teachings in God's Word where we can give, we see marks of a believer, don't we? John is highlighting one of the marks of a believer, or several here, not all the others necessarily. Verse 11, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. And, verse 14, we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. So there are characteristics of those who are living in this relationship, this state of being children of God. True children, true Christians, have love. And unbelievers don't practice this love. Now that asks us, that begs the question, doesn't it? What is true love, according to John? And what is the opposite? How are we to understand this true love? Well, John defines it, actually, by giving us two negatives. He shows us the opposite first, the opposite of true love. Verse 12, verse 12, he says, We should not be like Cain. Remember Cain? Children remember the story of Cain, right? There was Adam and Eve's children. Adam and Eve had two boys. One was Cain and the other was Abel. Who was the naughty one? Well, we know the answer. His name is Cain, right? Why was he naughty? Because he killed his brother. Actually, no, he killed his brother because he was naughty. His heart was wicked. And that wickedness just kind of expressed itself and eventually boiled over and he killed his brother. The evil in his heart was evident through his actions that were murderous and hateful. We should not be like Cain, John says, who was of that wicked one, the devil, and slew his brother. And wherefore slew him? Why did he slay his brother? Because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. Now, this is not making a distinction between those who believe in Jesus, or let me say it this way, those who are justified those who are justified by faith in Christ alone, and those who are refusing to believe, living in unbelief. That's also a distinction God's Word makes, but John is not making that distinction now. He's looking at the actions. What were the actions of Cain? The actions of Cain were hatred that came from an evil heart. The actions of someone who is a child of God is love coming from a heart that is made to love. You see how he's looking at the actions here, not necessarily at the state of faith. Not yet. We'll get there. So Cain was filled with hatred, unlove, and because of that, he killed his brother. Cain is an example, isn't he? Cain is an example in all of Scripture of of hatred. Not just hatred, but also the jealousy and the evil, the selfishness that that underlay that hatred. So Cain's actions were the result of the hatred in his attitude, which was the result of his sinful heart condition. And that's John's first lesson. True love is the opposite of hatred. The expression, the attitude, the actions of true love is the opposite of the actions of hatred that leads to all kinds of evil that comes from evil within. And then the second negative that John gives us to help us understand true love is from verses 13 and 14. Read them with me here. Verse 13 and 14. Marvel not, my brethren... If the world hates you, we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Now, that's a bit hard to understand. And yet there's simple language here, simple contrasting language again, isn't it? The world versus the believers, the brethren, right? And then death versus life. These simple contrasts. But here's the lesson. The world does not know true love, the true love of God, but true believers have been taught to know this true love. It's like John is making a comparison. You can almost, if you're taking notes, you can actually make two columns of the language John is using. And he starts by describing the one column, those who do not have love, those who are characterized by actions that are unloving, hatred. They are filled with a heart attitude that's not right, hating their brother. Because their deeds are evil, because their, their, their hearts are evil, 
and the condition in which they are, well, is death. So the condition of spiritual death leads to an evil heart which gives expression or is given expression to by hateful actions. That's one column. And then there is the other group of people that that John is describing. We could say the true love category. They have been taken from this state of death spiritually and given spiritual life. They have, what does he say here? They have passed from death. He that loveth, I'm sorry, we know that we have passed from death into life because we love the brethren. By grace, sinners are taken from the state of death, spiritual death, and in Christ Jesus made spiritually alive. And so they are now spiritually alive in this state of spiritual life in Christ. And as a result, their heart is full of brotherly love, overflowing from Christ's love. And as a result, this spills out and is shown and evident in all their characters. So there's two columns here John is speaking about. Those who are still children of the devil and those who have been made by grace children of God. And he starts by describing the opposite. Those who are still running away from God as children of the devil. Actually, he first describes their actions. He first describes their actions, or this, and then he describes their attitude, and then he describes their state of death. And then he goes, and the verses that follow, verses uh, 16 through 18, he describes the state of those who have been made alive in Christ, life, and he describes their attitude, brotherly love, and he describes their actions, sharing love with everyone. You see what John is doing? He's showing the contrast first, and then he's showing us how we are to live as children of God. Verses 12 through 15, the state of unlove. Verses 16 through 18, the state of how we should live if we are in the love of Christ. That's what John is doing here. He's describing two conflicting or two opposite spiritual conditions, and then the result in our lives of those spiritual conditions. So back to verse 10. Back to verse 10. In this the children of God are manifest. In this we know who are children of God. This is how they're made known. Whosoever doth not, doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. If you're still in this category, then John is saying, if you're not loving your brother, then you're still in this category and your heart is not right with God. And verse 14, we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. What is the state of our religion, our hearts, before God? Children still of nature, who do not love by nature, but rather are selfish by nature, like Cain. Cain is the example that John uses. Or by grace, made to be children, sons and daughters of God. By grace, taken from this state of unlove. By grace, taken from this selfishness and brokenness. And through Jesus Christ, given true love, life, and blessing. In which category are we? Children, well, of the devil, John says. Children like Cain, or children of God, like Jesus Christ. Now, that's, of course, by grace, isn't it? By grace we are saved. It's not our own doing. And the love of God that he has already described in this book, in John chapter, in chapter 1, 1 John 1 and 2 and 3, now as well. This is the love that with which God loved us. Verse three, chapter 3, verse 1. Behold what manner of the love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. When we were running from God, sinners, His Word chased after us, as it were, Christ, through His Spirit, convicting us of sin, an act of mercy. When we were pushing Him away by our sinfulness, the Gospel came to us with beautiful promises. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. When we were rebellious, seeking to go our own way, like children of the devil, as as it says in John here and elsewhere, Jesus spoke of, then God in His tender mercy, by His irresistible working of the Spirit, 
drew us with cords of love and brought us to Christ. You see, this is the manifest love of God by the behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. So John is speaking now against this category of people. He's saying, no, this is not who we are. By grace, believers, we are over here. We are children of God who are filled with brotherly love and therefore overflowing in love for others. This is the structure of the passage, verses 12 through 18. But let's go deeper now. How do we know this true love of which John is speaking? How can we know it? Not just to know about it, the facts of it, but to experience it. Suppose we were to ask the children, who are you like? Are you like Cain? Or are you like Christ? And of course, we know the answer, right? Who would say they're like Cain? None of us would say that. Because we know Cain is the bad example in Scripture. But then if I were to ask, maybe not just the children, but but myself and all of us here, in the last week, who have we acted like the most? In our actions, as we related to others, maybe family members, other people in our lives, who have we acted like the most? Have we acted like Christ? Have we acted like Cain, selfish and and seeking our own? You see, often, though by grace, through justification, we are made sons and daughters of God, and we are learning to continue to live by faith in Christ, often even God's people find themselves acting in the wrong way with the unlove, the unlove that is described by John here, the lack of love. And John is testing us. He's putting these tests to us to challenge us so that we examine our own hearts, our own spiritual condition. Are we real? Is it true that God has, by His grace, made us children of God, children of Him through Jesus Christ? Is it true that by faith we have trusted in Jesus and the Holy Spirit has worked this life, this faith and life in our hearts? Or is it somehow not true? We must examine ourselves. But not just that. As believers, we must also say, what do our lives, lifestyles show? What do our actions show? What do our attitudes show by the way we are living? Are we living as we ought, like children of God, children of Christ? John is testing us. Not just the spiritual condition, are we believers, but also the quality of our spiritual life. Are we living like Christ and displaying His character in all things? Now we know that Christ, Christ himself, is the perfect example of God's true love. That's what John says, verse 16. Verse 16. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us. We could translate it, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. What an amazing statement. John knew this firsthand. He witnessed Christ's ministry for three years, more than that. He saw the Savior on his way, suffering in agony on his way to the cross. He knew the risen Savior too, and the truth of the empty tomb. John experienced the truth of these words Christ gave himself for sinners. And John experienced that in his own life. And then John says in this book, the first part of uh, 1 John chapter 1, he wants all of us as well to experience this same reality. To see, as it were, with eyes of faith. And to realize afresh the love of Christ laying down his life for us. By this we know love. You see, the world, those who are in this other category still, who won't have anything to do with God, they don't know love, do they? They don't know true love because they don't know Christ and His love. There's so much packed into these words. By this we know love because He laid down His life for us. Laying it down. It's almost like taking off a coat and putting it aside. Laying down His life. You see, Christ's love knew no limits. 
He gave himself even to the point of death. Death on a cross, it says. Self-giving, sacrificial love. So opposite from what Cain has done. Cain is a, is a prototype, an example of the world. Selfish, seeking his own, jealous for other, what others had. But Christ is the perfect example of pure and true love. Self-giving, sacrificial, giving his own life, even to the point of death on a cross. And by grace we can know love, God's love, because by grace we are taught to know Christ through faith. Christ, the Son of God, He reveals to us, He opens up, He makes manifest God's love to us. Greater love, says Jesus, has no man than this, than that a man lay down his life for his friends. Jesus said that in John 15, and then He went on to prove that with His very actions. Jesus makes God's love known. And many people in the world today are looking for this true love, aren't they? Our society today is very selfish, very self-seeking, very stuck on satisfying our own desires and our own pleasures, perhaps. But this is the perfect picture of love. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Consider in this gospel the love of God Almighty. The love of the Father for a sinful world. For God so loved the world that He sent His Son. The Father who makes Himself known to us as a God of compassion and tender mercy. Even already in the Old Testament, that's how He made Himself known to Moses. Gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in goodness and truth. He wants to be known by this characteristic the Father loves. He so loves the world that He gives His Son. He planned this redemption from all eternity to chase after, as it were, sons and daughters of the devil. Cain, people like Cain, people like us, before God sought us to win us with His love. And the love of the Son, the love of Jesus Christ, perfect self-giving, sacrificial compassion. The example beyond all examples, the love of the Son for sinners. He came to seek and to save those who are lost. Not to those who didn't need Him, but to the prostitutes, to the outcast, to the marginalized. That's where we find Jesus the publicans and sinners. That's where we find them, him, his love and compassion in the Gospels. Matthew highlights this so many times. He saw the needy as helpless and harassed, and his heart was moved again with compassion. The love of the Son. And the love of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Christ who, who continues irresistibly to draw us closer to the Savior to remind us where we need to repent, to teach us to mouth with like baby language, words of faith, Lord Jesus, save me. The Spirit who loves God's people so perfectly, perfectly expressing the love of the Father, perfectly expressing the love of the Son, the Holy Spirit who is given to us as the church to cause us to be filled, to be overflowing with this true love. You see, this is what John is speaking of here. It's not like the world and the thing they call love, which is really not love at all, but selfish, selfish seeking of, of own, own things. This is the love of God. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. This is the message from the beginning. God himself is love. And Christ has made this love known to sinners. And now the Spirit communicates that to us as we hear the Word explained. John says, this is the message you have had from the beginning. Because John wasn't saying anything new. He was only echoing what he had already heard Jesus Christ say in the upper room and through his ministries. That's what John is saying in verse 16. Hereby perceive we the love of God 
because Christ laid down His life for us. And we could stop there and just meditate even longer on these words. And, and, and some do. But we have to go on because there's a second part to the verse. Look at the second part of verse 16. Hereby perceive we the love of God because He laid down His life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. It almost doesn't seem right to put those two pieces together, does it? This beautiful, amazing love of the triune God for sinners. And then it, John says, and that's how we're supposed to do it too. And we ought to lay down our lives. As Christ laid down His life, how can we even come close? And yet that's what John is saying here. The truth. It's convicting, isn't it? Not. It cuts to the heart of all false religion. If we know this love of Christ of the triune God in Christ, then, John says, then we ought to show this true love to others. The whole passage turns on this pivot, this verse, verse 16. Because John has already been saying, right? Cain killed his brother because his heart was full of hatred. He was evil because he was in a state of death, spiritual death. But by grace, we're not like that. By grace, we've been made alive in Christ. By grace, we've been given the love of Christ. By grace, that love is shed abroad in our hearts. By grace, we're filled with brotherly love. By grace, we know the love of God. By grace, we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. You see the logic here in this passage. If you know the true love of Christ, then you ought to show true love to others. To lay down our lives. The same word that's used of Christ is used of us, literally. Taking off the coat and giving it to someone else. Laying down our lives. And Christ is the example. How can we ever come close to His example? But there's the example. Christ, as He gave His life for others, so we are to give our lives to others, says the Word. For the brothers particularly, it says. For the brethren. All fellow human beings are our brothers in general. Or our neighbors, as Jesus says. And specifically, particularly, especially, the household of faith. All Christian believers in our community. Lay down our lives for the brothers. We ought to. This is our duty. This is the commanded action, the response that is expected. You see, knowing God's love is knowing what Christ did for us and then doing it ourselves, practicing that love is what we're called to do. We ought to lay down our lives in thankfulness to Christ for what He has done for us. Brotherly love is evidence. Not the basis of our salvation. Not at all. That's Christ's work on the cross. Brotherly love is evidence, a mark of our true childlikeness in God's sight. Brotherly love is evidence of our spiritual life. And John doesn't teach us a new truth here because this is exactly what Jesus has already said. John, the Gospel of John 13, verse 34, a new commandment says, Jesus, I give unto you that you love one another just as I have loved you that you also love one another. And John 15, Gospel of John 15, verse 12, says, Jesus, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And so now, many, many years later, 50-some years later, John is writing this letter to the churches. And he's reminding the churches of what Jesus said already in the upper room before his death, before he laid down his life for the brothers. And now the Spirit reminds us as well as a test, a test of our spirituality. The test, the evidence. And then verse 17 Look at verse 17. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? If you perceive 
your brother having a need, and you close your heart to him in his need, then how can you call yourself a child of God? That's what John is saying. It hurts me too. It convicts me. But we can't change it. That's what it says. If we see our brother with a need and we close our heart to him, we are not being like our Father in heaven. We are not being like our Savior who laid down his life for us. We are not being like the Holy Spirit who gives and gives grace and love through Jesus Christ. Do we need to explain it? It it speaks for itself, doesn't it? Just let this truth sink into our hearts, into our minds. Examine your hearts by this truth. We can't leave this room without feeling guilt for how short we fall, can we? How far we come from this standard, this high standard of perfect love. And this truth is taught in many places. 1 John 4, verse 20, If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? Or Hebrews 13, verse 16, But to do good and to share in fellowship, forget not, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. John gives us no room, does he? He gives us no wiggle room to somehow excuse ourselves and ignore the beggar at the gate. He gives us no excuse not to show love. Our love is an overflow of God's love in us. And it comes out as God fills us with his love. Does the Holy Spirit, does God's love abide in us? The true love of believers for others in this world is an overflow of God's true love in Christ for us and expressed by believers who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ. Verse 16, By this shall we know the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. And our assurance even, the assurance of faith is proved by God's love at work in us and through us. Verse 14, We know that we have passed from death into life because we love the brethren. It's a mark of the Christian, as we've already said. Maybe by now you're saying, but how can I love like that? How can I even call myself a Christian when I see myself in my own heart so many characteristics of Cain and not Christ? So much selfishness, so much self-seeking, so much jealousy, so much hatred in my own heart. What if I don't have true love in the first place? Maybe I am fake. Maybe my faith isn't genuine. Maybe I'm not real. But wait, time out. Just wait a minute there. Just right there. Just pause. Our love is evidence of God's work in us, but it's not the foundation of God's work in us. The foundation of God's work in us is the love of Christ, His perfect love on the cross, received by the Father at the resurrection and distributed freely by the Holy Spirit. Our salvation does not depend upon our loving. It depends upon God's love to us. And that love is perfect. Perfect. And we trust in it. We hold, in fact, we hold on to it even more tightly now, don't we? When we see our unloveliness, when we see the hatred of our hearts and our lack, our, our selfishness, then we cling all the more closely to this gracious love of the Father and self-giving love of the Son and this compassion of the Holy Spirit. We hold on to this promise. Our faith is founded upon this rock the love of God to us in Christ Jesus. And yet, and yet we must examine our hearts, shouldn't we? Because if our faith 
if our feet are not firmly fixed on that rock, Christ Jesus, then we are still of the evil one. We are still in this other category. We are still not knowing true love and acting like Cain. And yet, still the message comes. Jesus is still seeking sinners, calling sons and daughters of the church to come home to experience his love. He loves us. He loves us more than we ever imagined. And it's free. So if you don't know Jesus, if you're trusting in your own merit somehow or other, if you're still acting like Cain, bow before King Jesus and let him overwhelm you with his love. And yet we test ourselves with this, don't we? If we are children of God, and by God's grace we can say that, yes, I believe by grace I'm saved in Christ, then we test ourselves, we examine ourselves, we put our, the mirror next to our lives and say, where don't we measure up? Where is more work need to be done? Where do we more, need to more love like Christ? More, where do we need to learn to love better? That's what John is teaching us to do in this passage. Because by grace we are not like Cain. We have been saved from death. We do know the love of Christ. And we echo back that love to him. And we desire to practice this love. Don't we desire that? Children of God, don't you want to just love more like Christ? More perfectly without selfishness? More without distraction? More self-giving love? Echoing, overflowing the love of Christ to others? We desire to grow in this love, to be more like him, and to share his love with others. So let's just meditate a few minutes now in closing on a few few applications how we ought to practice this love as true believers. And the first is this. Christ-like charity. Christ-like charity. These are just a few observations to maybe help us think through how we can put these things to practice in our lives, to be more like Christ. And the first is Christ-like charity. And I, I think particularly in our culture today, a culture that is so, so selfish, so selfish, self-promoting, self-obsessed, we live in a selfie culture. That word didn't exist 20 years ago. But it exists now, doesn't it? And we all know what it means, the selfie culture. It's all about us. Enjoy some me time. You owe it to yourself. Seek your own pleasure. These are the messages that we're bombarded with. We live in a very selfish culture. And even the thing they call love is really just selfishness, to get more for myself of what I want to satisfy me. But we know love. As sons and daughters of God, We know true love. We know it. We've experienced it like John. And we can share it to others. That's what we call charity. That's an older word for love. I'm using that intentionally. Because it just creates a contrast to the word the culture calls love. Charity. This sharing of Christ's love with others. We are called to be different. To witness of Christ by loving each other as a church, by forgiving each other, by sharing God's love and kindness. But there's so much more. So much more. How do we witness to others the love of Christ? You know, when we think of charity, we often think of giving money, don't we? Because that's what that word has sometimes come to mean. Charity is when you put money in the plate and it's used for some good cause, maybe locally or maybe abroad, giving money to charity. And that's important. But that's not the only way to show love. There's so, much other, so many other ways as well. We can give our lives back to Christ and to others. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that through his... Um, sorry. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that... Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. You see, we give ourselves in service to Christ. 
out of thankfulness to God for His great love to us, we give ourselves back to God and say, Lord, how would you, how wouldst thou have me live today? How, how wilt thou use me to share this love with others, to show thy kindness, thy compassion, thy tender mercies to others? Charity, you see, starts not with, not with our checkbook or bank account. Charity starts right in our hearts, right in our hearts. Because when God's love opens our hearts and saturates us with brotherly love, with his love and brotherly love, then it just spills over, doesn't it, into our attitudes and our thinking and all of life. There are many ways to show charity. True friendship, true spiritual friendship with those who are going through difficult times, empathy or wisdom perhaps, or even counsel and prayer. Sharing with others financially or in other ways the blessings that God has given to us whether in the household of faith or with with those beyond, maybe in other lands where there is much need, much financial need or much much need as far as the the need for the furtherance of the gospel. Spiritual fellowship, a sincere care for the souls of others. How do we witness of Christ's love to others? How do we supply the needs of others around us who are going through difficulties or challenging circumstances? Each one of us have different situations, don't we? Different contexts, different communities in which we operate. But maybe even now, as I'm, as I'm saying these words, the Holy Spirit is opening to your mind some ideas, some, some possibilities, some people you need to reach out to to share the love of Christ in words or in actions. The love of Christ. Verse 19. I'm sorry, verse... Yeah, verse 19. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. And also verse 18. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Now, John is not saying we shouldn't love in our words. He's saying let us not only love in our words or in our tongues, our our. our, our are the, uh, what, what things come from our mouths, but rather let us also love in deed and in truth, in true actions, in genuine care and concern for others, in deeds that display the love of Christ. So Christ-like charity, but we can go further. Christ-like generosity is another way in which we are called to love. We are called to witness of Christ with generosity. Now, Verse 17 is actually a quote. 1 John 3, verse 17 is actually a quote from the Old Testament. If you go back to Deuteronomy 15, we don't have to go there now, but Deuteronomy 15, verses 7 through 11, gives very specific instructions to to the Israelites living in the economy of Israel in that day. It gives very specific instructions of how they are to care for those who have needs. And it says, if there are, I'll just read a few verses. If there be among you a poor man... One of thy brethren with any of thy gates in thy land, which the Lord thy God giveth thee, thou shalt not harden thine heart, nor shut thine hand from thy poor brother, but thou shalt open thine hand wide unto him, and shalt surely lend him sufficient for his need, in which he wanteth. Beware that there be not any thought in thy wicked heart, saying, The seventh year, the year of release is at hand, and thine eye be evil against thy poor brother, and thou givest him naught. And he cry unto the Lord against thee, and it shall be sin unto thee. Thou shalt surely give him, and thy heart shall not be grieved, when thou givest unto him, because that for this thing the Lord thy God shall bless thee in all thy works, and in all that thou puttest thine hand unto. For the poor shall never cease out of the land, Therefore I command thee, saying, Thou shalt open thine hand wide unto thy brother, to thy poor, and to thy needy in thy land. Do not look grudgingly at the beggar who comes to your gate. Because if you do so, like my heart sometimes has been, it might fail to be generous. As soon as we say no to that beggar, something happens in our hearts, doesn't it? 
Maybe we look down on him for his dirty clothes and we smell and his smell. But our hearts lose this attitude of generosity. And we begrudge him for asking us again for the third or fourth or fifth time. And we maybe even despise him in our hearts. But you see, in the process, you know, I I struggle with this. I really struggle with this. But I have to give to that beggar. Because if I don't, then my heart will be not like my Father in heaven, who is generous and who gives rain to the just and to the unjust. I have to give to that beggar, because otherwise my heart grows harder and isn't like my loving Father in heaven. And so the beggar that came to my gate, I had to give because I had to first repent of the sin in my heart for begrudging that guy for asking again. Now, how do we deal with beggars? How do we deal with the poor in society? How do we deal with the homeless? This is, this is complex, I know, and I don't have a good answer. And there's good studies that are being done about this. But that aside, all of that aside, if we allow our hearts to begrudge those who ask for generosity and we don't give, you see how we're actually going against what John is saying here. And we're not like our Father in heaven. Christ-like generosity and compassion And then third, Christ-like compassion for those who are hurting. Christ's ministry on earth was characterized by this, wasn't it? It was a signature of his ministry. He saw the helpless and harassed, those who were suffering, those who were scattered, those who didn't have, they didn't know their left from their right. They were ignorant. And it says his heart was moved with compassion for them. His heart was moved with compassion. And if our hearts are not moved with compassion for the suffering that's around us, then somehow or other we're not acting like Christ, are we? The love of God that is in our hearts, hopefully, is not given expression to in our actions. And we're not like Christ. Don't look to me. I'm not the right example. Christ is the example. He is the one who displays perfectly this love and this compassion for the suffering around us. And consider also the powerful witness of a life that displays this kind of compassion, this kind of love, this kind of consistent thoughtfulness for those who are suffering. What a powerful witness for the gospel, isn't it? Often it opens doors where there is no door for the word to go. It opens doors for the gospel, for a word in season, for a kind thought to be followed by a kind word and a prayer. God often uses the compassion of his people to make way for the gospel, a powerful apologetic for the gospel of Christ. Christ-like charity, Christ-like generosity, Christ-like compassion. And we could go on, but let me end with this. What is the duty of us and our church, this church, today? What is our duty? Hereby we perceive the love of God because He laid down His life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. What are we doing as individuals and as a church? Internally within the covenant community, I know there's much being done also in this church. Christ gave 100%. Christ gave 100%, not just 10%. Christ laid down his life for the brethren. How are we called to love? I don't have the answer. My job is to explain this text, and it says we are to lay down our lives for the brothers. What are we doing within the brethren, the covenant community of God's people, for each other? What are we doing beyond to other needs? The global church, there are many needs in the global church. Many people who are suffering. Suffering in ignorance and false teaching. Suffering with the lack of resources. Bible truth. Our children in catechism know more than most pastors in Africa. What are we doing to share the love of Christ, the truth of a God who gave His Son for sinners? The office bearers are called to lead in this area. 
to provide leadership, to guide the whole church to fulfill this responsibility. But we can't just point to the office bearers and say, ah, they're doing it for us. You can't just hire a missionary to do this, to obey this text for you. Yes, of course, and it's my job in some specific ways as well, but we can't delegate this duty to others. We who are children of God are called to show love, the love of Christ. How are we called to do it? We cannot excuse ourselves or let excuses somehow distract us from our duty. Financial assistance, other tangible forms of brotherly love to those who are in need, assisting perhaps the poor or the marginalized, psychological needs, those who are depressed or lonely or living maybe in in regret, social needs in our society. There are many. Our society is full of brokenness. We have the love of Christ. We are called to share it. Relational needs, there are many broken marriages in society. We, some of us interact with them in the, in the job spheres. How can we help others to know the love of Christ? Through our words, through our actions. How is God calling you right now to lay down your life for others to share the love of Christ to those in need? We should pray together, shouldn't we? How to be more faithful Consider the strengths and opportunities that God has given us, given you as a church. What are the strengths and opportunities that are unique to this church here, the Kalamazoo Reformed Church? And how are you to invest those in the witness of Christ's love in this community? Maybe a pregnancy crisis center, counseling services, ministry to the handicapped, those who are marginalized, maybe help for those with relational problems, Maybe, maybe counseling for marriage tensions in, in the community. Maybe jail ministry or partnership with inner city, uh, inner city ministries in downtown Kalamazoo. Maybe mentoring young people or reaching out to elderly, not just the elderly of the church, but others as well. Not just the leaders of the church, but all of us. How are we called, how are you called to lay down your life for the brothers? It's more than just giving food to the beggar at the gate, isn't it? That alone convicts me. And yet, our responsibility, our loving response of love to God, for God's great love to us is so much greater. Let me end by reading again God's word. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Amen. Almighty God, we confess the selfishness of our hearts and our slowness to echo thy love to others. We confess that so often we look like Cain and not like Christ and we hoard the treasures that thou hast given us and waste them on ourselves. But we pray for more love. Thy perfect love triune love, to fill us to overflowing, and that this love may spill over into every area of our lives, into every area of the life of this church, within and without, internal, external, that they may be overflowing with the love of Christ, and that this love may flow freely, generously to those around them, and that many others may be attracted by this amazing truth this love beyond imagination. Lord, we are convicted, and yet we do not leave in despair, for we know that thou hast promised love even to the unlovable, and thou hast irresistibly drawn us to thyself with bands, with cords of love. Father, we pray that thou wilt continue to do this by thy Spirit. Draw us closer and closer to Jesus and fill us with his love, And that 
each person here, Lord, may know this love in a real way, in a genuine way. Lord, fill us more, we pray, and cause us to be a blessing to others too. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.